Hey, Ashwin. Hey, Kavya. Hey, everyone. We're your hosts checking in today to discuss all things Brown and Beyond. Brown and Beyond is brought to you by South Asians for Equity Canada, which advocates for South Asian interests in a truly inclusive manner. This week, we will be talking to two guests about queerness as South Asians. Our first guest is Giovanna Huntsrau, who is a student of psychology at the University of Amsterdam, and her pronouns are she, her. Our second guest is Archin Dada, a second-year computer engineering student at the University of Waterloo. His parents are Bengali and he's originally from Ottawa. He identifies as gay and uses he, him pronouns. So the disconnect between brown families and our generation is a struggle for a lot of us, and evidently more so for queer South Asians, where LGBTQ matters are traditionally considered taboo. How have you navigated that journey? I think this is something it really takes time to even orient because it starts with your own orientation of where you fit in in the spectrum. So for me, it was about firstly exploring where I fit in the spectrum and then really learning about, okay, so if there's so much taboo around it, how do I really address to my family? How do I come across by, you know, like really integrating myself into first the LGBTQIA spectrum and then trying to find a way where I integrate my understanding of this into my household or into my identity as being a brown person. Uh, so I think that's definitely the first thing I did. Um, and another thing about that, I think it's also about educating yourself about what is out there in terms of LGBTQIA plus in the brown community. Um, so actually when I first realized uh, like maybe I wasn't straight or I identified as something else, I actually turned to a very trusty source that was actually looking at uh, other Instagram pages and other people who actually came out recently as either pansexual, bisexual, and seeing how they went through their journey. Uh, and by actually learning through them, I understood where I fit in, how I could incorporate myself through it. Um, I also started following a lot more I would say queer artists, uh, not only South Asian artists, uh, but artists of many different descents. And when it comes to, um, you know, connecting this back to my identity as a brown person and also connecting it back to, you know, being this disconnect of already feeling like I can't connect with my family because of this kind of this gap. I feel like this is, a, this knowledge already is something I knew. And I think that already gave me this understanding that they will never understand uh, what it's like, you know, not growing up in India, not having these expectations, growing up in a very different circle. I think just knowing that and understanding that already made me feel much more comfortable because I know that although there are these expectations of me, I know I cannot fulfill all of them because I live in a much different generation. So I think being aware of where you stand is very, very important and educating yourself through whatever medium and sources you have. For example, for me, I'm a performer, so... Um, like following different kind of queer artists online definitely really helped me connect, really made me feel like I had more of a blowing and understanding that yes, on one hand I have my family, uh, but this is not something that they always, like this is not a page they will always have to like flip with me, rather I flip on my own and they're more supporting mechanism in other times. So I think for me the most important was realizing that in some ways they will never see eye to eye and just that acceptance itself was very, very helpful because it's a walk you have to walk by yourself. So, yeah. Thank you. That was a very good answer. Um, Archin, do you have any thoughts on anything that she's touched on or your own response? Yeah, for sure. So um, for me, I guess going about this in a more 
I, like, I guess I'm going to an- answer this question in terms of more just like specifically with my family. So I think in general, like the coming out journey for not just SE people, but people of color, it's definitely not a linear process. I would say like it's a one big defining factor of it, like in general, I, w- I want to say. So I know for me, like personally, it was definitely like I first told my mom back like five years ago, I told her that I was bisexual because that's initially the way that I perceived it was that it's, um, I guess, more accepted by society and all like this stuff. And I was like, oh, like I told her like, it's okay. Like I, like I might be with a guy or something, but like, it's okay. I'll end up with a girl. Like you don't have to worry. And there's a lot of internalized homophobia, definitely. Um, and I think a lot of that does come from the big, I guess, toxic masculinity aspect of South Asian culture, which obviously not everyone internalizes, but it definitely does have a big role within South Asian culture. And just like, like within India and just like the diaspora. Um, yeah, so because of that, I guess, just the way that I perceived myself was definitely based on how the how I saw the other, I guess, um, like my South Asian, like straight male friends and just how, and I just, a lot of it was based off of how I thought they would see me, like on top of how I thought my parents would see me. So because of that, I, like, I guess it was kind of like, it was like a safe first step in a, in a sense. That's what I thought back then that maybe we should tell people that I was bi. Um, and, and uh, like the, the thing, the problem with that, of course, is that like invalidates people that actually are bi. Um, but also just like, it was, it definitely comes to show just how, how much of a disconnect there definitely was between not even just like like me and my family but also just like and like my friends and just with me and like reality in a sense just because I I I don't know like I guess it's just it definitely it, it was just like I definitely a process and it was just I said really come to terms with the fact that I had to be true to myself and there are many aspects of me as a person like being South Asian and queer and and um it just like the, I just had to make sure that like I was just true to myself and just and then afterwards I was able to I guess um like explain myself more to my family and like have long discussions with them about um this topic um but it definitely as i said earlier wasn't a linear journey so it took like almost five years right now i am in a place where i am like definitely really supported by my family so i am really privileged in that sense because i do know that a lot of south asian people um, south asian crew folks don't have that same experience um but it definitely it took a long time and there's a lot of slow steps but i am in a place now where i am supported Nice. Okay. So many South Asian cultures often lack the terminology in their languages to speak about um, LGBTQ issues or, or, or queerness in general. Um, culturally, it can be really difficult to even approach, let alone breach existing barriers surrounding derogatory terms and slang when discussing um, uh, queer topics. Um, what are your thoughts on this? And maybe Archon, you can start this time and then we'll go to Giovanna. Yeah, for sure. So honestly, to my knowledge, um, within at least Bengali, um, or I guess just like actually in a lot of like South Asia. So the Western terms of foreign queer identities are like mostly used, as, uh, or if not in general within South South Asia, at least within my extended family, I guess I probably shouldn't generalize. Um, so the only term specifically, specifically in a queer context that I know of, which is used, um, is hijra, which is used within a lot of South Asia as well. So for those who don't know, the hijra identity is similar in many ways to being a trans woman, but in actuality, it's one of the oldest trans identities in the world, and it's classified as a third gender in India. Also, many hijras experience gender in a different way than a binary trans woman might, so it's definitely a little, a little nuanced. So anyways, 
as you know, because of our history of being colonized by the British and how they, I guess, ingrained into our ancestors' minds that proficiency in English equates being civilized, in a sense, the majority of the, I would say, middle and upper class in India do speak English to some extent and can refer to queer identities using English terms, which is definitely a very privileged um, like outlook because they have access to that language with, or with they have access to that terminology within English, but then for the, for the lower, for the lower class communities where they might not have access to English, which is obviously like totally fine as well. It is, I think, a bigger issue because um, if they do, if there are any queer terms that they know of, it's definitely within a derogatory manner or there's like a derogatory like undertone or connotation. So other than the fact that there's definitely a lot of harassment and there might be like a lot that they go through throughout their life just because they're queer, um, they don't have access to that queer vocabulary that doesn't have queer, queer connotations so then they can't like it almost like invalidates himself and they can't even get like that sense of a sense of belonging so i guess i do want to say that like at least personally and i do believe like uh, a portion of india does have that privilege where they have access to the english language which does have queer queer terms within it but then there are a lot of people who don't have access to the english language and so they don't have access to queer terms queer terminology so that definitely makes it harder Giovanna, do you have anything to add to that? And I guess, um, you know, both of us are from Hong Kong, right? So um, if, uh, and you're, you're fluent at Cantonese, um, I'm not. Um, so, I mean, if you could touch on that as well, uh, you know, that, that would be interesting uh, if you have anything to add. Oh, no, sure, sure, definitely. Um, I would say, unlike Urchin for myself, I come from relatively, um, so I was raised by my grandparents, and both of them are, I would say, very desi in their, in their own element. Um, so I was raised by my grandmother, and she really raised me with very strict Punjabi rules. And since a very, very young age, I was always taught how to be a good Punjabi girl, you know, how to cook, how to, like, identify, and how to, like, really fit into the stereotype of a quote-unquote good Punjabi girl. And I think that really, when I first started identifying as somebody, you know, who's queer, I think the first thought that came into my head was, so how do I dress this to my grandma one day? You know, she has so many expectations of me, you know, I'm going to get married to a guy from a rich family. I'm going to, you know, do yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, I can't even fulfill her first wish, which is that I might not even actually get married to men or even get married at all. Um, so I think... It was definitely very difficult. And even when I first started talking about this with, uh, with my mom, uh, who grew up in Hong Kong, and she has quite a lot of friends who identify as queer. Um, and actually one of her best friends uh, is a South Asian, um, a South Asian queer man. Um, and she, when I first started talking about it, she also didn't realize the terminology she used. And I would try to, you know, you know, just take out of her own space and be like, I really, really hope you appreciate this and you really learn from me what's the proper way of addressing these terms because they really mean a lot to me. And it also took, like, it's also took me time to educate myself. So I feel like not only does the language lack um, the ways of expressing yourselves, but even as somebody who's queer, I felt I also lacked the terminology to express what I truly want, like what I truly felt and how to address myself or my peers who identify as a queer. And, you know, growing up in Hong Kong, even within the Chinese language, so I'm somebody who grew up speaking Cantonese and Punjabi and English with my, both my parents, uh, like mostly my mom and my dad and not my grandparents. And even when I tried to explain it in Cantonese, I felt there was actually quite a lot of terms which were, in a sense, uh, actually pretty offensive towards the LGBTQIA plus culture. Um, 
And it's because there isn't space for these cultures. Often they're, uh, like often they're put to the side or they're even looked down upon. Um, and when I first brought this up to my father, he actually just completely told me, oh, it's just a phase. It's like, you're gonna grow out of it and you'll be completely fine after that. And it's almost seen as a, I will quote unquote even say as a disease. Like for example, in Chinese, there are a lot of terms which actually say people who are gay or identify as, as queer. It's a disease that comes over you rather than you identifying as such. So I felt that even in the beginning of it, it was me identifying with these words and saying and feeling like, am I really this? Is this what really, is this what really what it is? Because I never really felt comfortable in the skin. And it took me actually quite a long time, even within my own terminology to learn how to address myself. So addressing it to my parents is a whole different issue. Um, and even talking about, even thinking about addressing it to my grandparents seemed as such a big difficulty because I don't even know where to start. Um, you know, coming from Hong Kong, my Punjabi definitely isn't fluent, neither is my Hindi. I don't even know where to start to address, you know, I am this, I feel this way. Um, and even bringing up words like I identify as, I'm not even sure if, those kind, if that vocabulary exists. And to my, to my understanding, it really, really doesn't. Um, because to my grandmother, you're born as a woman, you're supposed to be a woman, these ideal of quote unquote woman needs to, needs to pursue. And even explaining to her that I don't identify as such, or I don't want to, seems like almost disowning her or her understandings of what I need to be. So I think oftentimes, as somebody who's queer, I even think about, is it actually letting her down? You know, somebody who doesn't even have any idea that this might even exist, that people identify something outside of the gender they, was, they were born or raised to. Um, so I think often this is a disappointment because I feel like we don't allow people who might be queer to actually feel comfortable in their own skin. And I definitely would say that for me in the beginning, that was definitely the case because of the language. I felt it almost gave me a barrier and almost made me, made me feel ashamed of being who I was because I said the most important thing, which is to me, is to be able to communicate this with my family. And I don't even have the words to communicate it with. And on top of that, I almost feel like it's a disappointment if I do even communicate it with them. Because firstly, the terminology does not exist. And on top of that, even if it does exist, it's actually like rooted in a lot of um, false spirituality or even associating with something that's almost demon-like. So I would definitely say that. Yes, thank you so much for speaking on your experience. Yes, a lot of South Asians do feel as if in their languages or any Asian languages, there may be uh, derogatory terms to address it. So it's important to um, use the right terminology. And if it doesn't exist, then try and find new terminology to uh, assist in, in communication. Hi, everyone. This is Ashwin Nair, one of the co-hosts of Brown and Beyond. As you may already know, this podcast is produced by South Asians for Equity Canada, which is a grassroots organization that aims to advocate for South Asian interests in Canada within a larger feminist, anti-racist, LGBTQ positive, and pro-migrant framework. But in order to keep expanding our mandate, we could use some help. If you like what we're doing, please do consider either making a one-off donation to our PayPal or a monthly donation for as low as five US dollars a month on our Patreon. Links to both of these are in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Um, so we've talked about how um, we are approaching queer issues in the South Asian community 
but now we're going to talk about how uh, a lot of LGBTQ spaces are predominantly white or Western. So how do you navigate those spaces as an LGBTQ South Asian? How do you make it feel like your space? And if I could add to that, um, you know, Giovanna, obviously, uh, you you live in Amsterdam now, but, uh, you know, you grew up in Hong Kong, and I guess, you know, you go back to Hong Kong uh, occasionally, and I think you're there right now. If you could speak on that as well, uh, you know, that would be very interesting. So I definitely say that um, it's about understanding that there will be spaces that are for you. However, you have to build a space for yourself. Um, and what you identify as almost as a, it's almost like a stamp on you, right? You bring it with you no matter where you go. And that's what I first understood. So traveling so much, you know, uh, so I started off in a boarding school and then I took a gap year to Senegal, which is a Muslim country. So I had to actually, you know, almost cover my identity as someone who identifies as pansexual. I realized that even if this identity is covered, it doesn't mean it ever goes away. And I would say, although, you know, most of my friends were very happily um, sharing or talking about this, it was really in a covered space. And um, although these terms and all these people definitely come from white predominant households and they're very much more comfortable with their identity. However, when I was in the space, I would say the first two years of identifying as somebody queer, it was really difficult because I only could identify with these terms or these people. And I never felt like I could identify within my own self or bring this, bring this quote unquote stamp me everywhere I went. I felt like it only belonged in certain spaces and in those spaces I left it with these people but never took it along with me. Um, so I felt, I do feel like um, it's really, really important to have staples for yourself and to have grounding points for yourself to remember that um, you can you can have ground points in which you constantly either remind yourself or reassure yourself that it's completely okay and people will accept you. For example, when I went on my gap year in Senegal and for the first few months when I was living with my family, I actually got quite close to my sisters. And I knew that um, they were relatively, like they were pretty strictly Muslim. And one day I brought up the conversation and I was like, okay, so uh, what do you think about such and such? What do you think about people who don't identify uh, as their own gender or the gender they were born with. And these conversations start creating an environment in which I could so easily open up and actually introduce these concepts to them, talk about it with them. And I feel oftentimes um, it's about actually opening up these places within people who are in your different circles, um, really feeling comfortable and always for not, and not forgetting that your identity is something that you carry along with you no matter where you go. It's not somewhere, for example, it's you feel comfortable in one place and you close it up and you bring it to another place and you close it up. It doesn't really work like that. You have to always learn to explore it. You have to continuously learn to accept it and appreciate it no matter what context or what environment you're in because this is a part of yourself and that means that you have to first and foremost accept it within yourself if you want anyone to accept it and appreciate it with you. Um, so that's one thing I'll definitely, definitely say. Thank you very much. Um, Archin? Giovanna is mentioning how you have to basically, you carry your identity with you and it's kind of like stamped on you. And it's just like, you have to be like outwardly proud and like open with it. And I do kind of think it's a little nuanced because I think in a sense, it's kind of a privilege to, to have to have the capability to do that and feel and feel safe doing that in a sense, just because there's so many people, like especially I want to say like non-binary folk or trans folk who 
um, just like outright like and like their life can be ended or even like like any LGBT person in certain countries or certain areas like uh, Yvonne has mentioned like and she was like in the Muslim countries and also in general like they are like within Saudi Arabia or some other countries it definitely can be um, they don't even have they don't have the privilege to I guess be outwardly open about their identity so I guess I do understand where especially for like the re- a lot of us who are living in countries or spaces where it might be like even if it might make us uncomfortable it might make the people around us uncomfortable like it won't actually have a direct impact on our lives which is definitely a huge privilege so i do think that we do have to carry our identities with us and we should be open and proud about it so that the people within other spaces who don't have that privilege they can see it in other people and like that will hopefully bring change um in general throughout the world obviously like on top of that like through advocating and like through doing like social work and all that as well but i think that like i do agree like on a fundamental stance it definitely is important for that for the people who are whose lives aren't at risk by being open be do be open um yeah so i agree on that on that front anyways back to the actual question itself so i think in general i'm still trying to be more comfortable in terms of like both parts of my identity um so i think one thing that a lot of queer people of color in general do not specifically South Asians is that they definitely do feel like they don't have almost the right to exist in a sense within like within all parts of their identity so as um like Kavya mentioned like you downplay the one part of your identity like being a South Asian um just because you want to fit in more with the predominantly white people in the queer space um and I guess because we are we're already so not as much anymore but we were in the past at like the fringes of society so when we do find that group of people like that's like another queer community we want to hold on to it so badly and so if there are other ways that make us different than that than them that that just like like it complicates things even more so in that i do get why like i understand why that's such a common feeling of like wanting to embrace just that one side of yourself like just the queer side of yourself and then like you can let the south asian side of yourself or like the like other aspects of yourself that's in the back, but that is definitely something that we have to engage in conversation about because at the end of the day, as Jivan was saying as well, like it's, we are, I guess like we have so many parts of our identity and we have to give, we have to remember that they're all important in their own ways. And even though we, even though, even if we're in a predominantly queer space, that doesn't bring down the fact that we are South Asian and that is a huge part of our identity as well. And like we have to give light to it as well because there's so many other South Asian queer people who don't, who don't feel like they can be valid because they don't see other South Asian queer people um, who are being open about it. So I definitely do think it is important to be open about all parts of your identity. So we talked a lot. We, we happen to discuss a lot about family. We happen to discuss a lot about community. And, you know, within our South Asian communities, you know, there's still a lot of us, a lot of people who are, are struggling with their queer identity, who, you know, may not be sure of themselves uh, and, and further than that, sure of, they may not be sure of how to bring that um, to the people they, you know, they're closest to their family, their friends. How would one be able to, to grapple with that and to, and to overcome that um, especially uh, with regards to, you know, in, in South Asian culture, uh, we tend to prioritize uh, what other people will think quite a bit. Archin, take this one first. Yeah, for sure. So I do think that, um, I, as I, I think I sort of touched before in general, like I do want to say that, again, like, at, and you want to touch on as well, like that at the end of the day, you have to, not even at the end of the day, at the beginning of the process, you have to remember that you are valid. Um, and regardless of, I guess, <laughs> and it definitely is a big part of it, as Ashwin said, um, that what will people think? The whole idea is very, very toxic as well. But at the end of the day, you're here to exist um, on your own terms, 
Um, and so it's, it's all about being comfortable with yourself first and putting yourself first in many ways because that's so important. And so you have to remember for queer South Asian people who maybe not, who might not be, I guess, comfortable with their identity yet, they have to remember that, or it's, it's good to remember that um, they are valid, they do take up space and they're allowed to take up space being a queer person within the South Asian community. Um, and that like, especially, I think I mentioned this earlier as well, that it's definitely not gonna be a linear journey with telling your friends and the family um, but that's totally okay as well. Everybody's journey is completely different. That's something that's really important as well that um, I think, especially because now that there's more people that are coming out and like being more open about it, it's, it can, like, especially because like in my case, as an example, like I'm super lucky where I am right now and my parents are very accepting, but there's some, it's hard to, I guess, say, but there are some people who might not come to that, come to that, um, that come to that place where they're going to be completely open about it and like it's hard to accept that as well but i guess that's like the reality of some things um which is like so sad to say um but i guess the main thing is that you have to remember that you are valid and just like to keep trying and give the energy to the people that you know can grow and that um yeah just like try your best and know that you're valid and you have a reason for existing and yeah you're amazing you're doing great <laughs> yeah that's it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right, uh, Giovanna, go for it. Okay, I think overall, really, I would just say at the end of the day, people will have things to say and people will have things to think about. So the what do you think mentality, I think the best way to approach is that people will think either way. And that's what I came across with when I, you know, had that question in my head, like, what will people actually think? And I'm like, well, people will have things to comment either way. And this is just a part of South Asian, you know, very toxic community. Like, oh, this happened, she changed her hair, she's not wearing this today, her short is a little bit too short. Like, they'll have things to say. It's just another sleeve you're wearing on, on yourself and just embrace it as you embrace everything else. So that's the first thing I'll definitely, definitely say. Um, I think on top of that, when it comes to really identifying and accepting who you are, the first step is to feel comfortable within your own self. I think um, if you aren't comfortable with your own self, it'll be really, really hard to even disclose it because it almost for me at least, it started off as a process of actually being almost in denial and then slowly, slowly accepting it within myself. And this actually comes forth, at least for me, it was a very linear process in the sense that first it was accepting within my own self and then telling one or two friends I really, really trusted and then telling my mom. And once I felt I built this up for myself, actually finding a much bigger community. However, nowadays, actually, the community is really, really open to this. And I do feel like more South Asian people are coming out as queer, which makes me really, really excited. Um, and oftentimes, it's just realizing that there's a community out there, even if it's not South Asian, uh, which you can feel like you belong in. And with time, once you feel people, like once you find people who are actually South Asian who identify with it as well, it actually becomes a very big bonding experience because you can talk about, you know, how you actually go, go around this identifying as South Asian. Uh, for example, for me, I think uh, there's only one other person I've met who is South Asian and identifies as queer. And it was actually a very transient process uh, when I met him. And it felt like somebody understood me without me even having to explain it. So I would say that, no, there are people out there who definitely identify as such. And learning that, that uh, you, for most, have to accept yourself, be loving towards yourself, and understand that although the terminology in our language is lacking, although our understanding and our family's understanding is lacking, 
it doesn't mean there are lack of people who actually identify as such. Rather, there's a lack of under. Uh, rather, there's a there's a taboo behind it, and with time, us being included, we can actually make a change towards it, and it starts with ourselves. Um, so that's what I'd say. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time on Brown and Beyond. Bye.